Boy, howdy. It's February. Ugh. Can't believe we're already into the second month of the year. It's, it's, a, it's a strange, strange feeling. Yeah. And already we've got a we've got enough things that we need to talk about that we're like, hey, it's time to pull out the old grab bag. I've one of the titles in this I've been like really, really itching to talk about, so I'm excited about it. Well, you can now scratch that itch. Yeah. Because this is what we're going to do today. Go into the old grab bag. Today on episode 60 of the season. It's all video games this time, OVA. right? OVA. It is all video games Sorry. this week. <laughs> on this podcast where we have conversations about video games, anime, and manga. Hello, I'm Jared. Joined by person who needs to itch a scratch. That's Anladium. <laughs> Hello. Now I'm literally, like, itchy, so thanks. I mean, I've been itchy for like a while, but that's because like it's dry as this room because it's yeah. winter. Yeah. And there's no water in the air. <laughs> no moisture in the air. There you go. Humidity. It's the same. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no. It's very dry air. Yeah, it's cold in both of the places where we live, but you are more cold than I am. Oh, let's give you a weather update on this Tuesday when we were recording. It is 30 degrees right now. When this episode goes up, it the high is going to be 34, but it's supposed to snow. Also, it feels like 22. It's 28 and it feels like 15 here, so it's, I guess I lied. Somehow it's colder over there. <laughs> <laughs> Huh, but that, it, winter is not what we're here to talk about. No, because winter. I don't even think any of our, our games take place during winter. No. Yours would be the only ones I would be questioning on because I don't know. Yeah, I mean, one, definitely not. The other, I mean, they're winter uniforms, but I don't know. Like, it could also be fall. Right. So we're going to we're gonna reach into the old grab bag. I don't have a bag, so I'm just making noises. Oh, dang. I forgot to bring a bag. <laughs> Maxwell, where's your bag? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we have four games lined up for you to talk about today. With giant titles. Giant titles. Two of them are very recent releases. One of them came out last year, and then one of them is a DLC that I'm assuming came out very recently. Uh, December 12th, 2017. Okay, so last year as well. Sorry, I'm... Al's the 2017 correspondent. I'm the 2018 correspondent. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to discuss Digimon Story, Cyber Sleuth, Hacker's Memory. That's all one game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> one title. Dragon Ball Fighters. <laughs> Even though Bandai Namco is like, you pronounce that as fighters. And it's like, you mother put a giant Z on the title of your game. Uh, just call it Zed. Yeah, or yeah, just like just go with it. Oh my goodness. Uh Shantae, the half genie hero friends DLC. Friends to the friends end. Friends to the end. I forgot the, the other part of it. I got I got most yeah. of it. I was like 66 of the way there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and also something that's going to need some content warning, so be prepared for that because we're going to talk about that at the very end. Uh yep. Al's going to talk to us about Doki Doki literature. 
literature club. All literature clubs are like this. That's why you don't join them. Oh, God, I hope not. (laughs) (laughs) Four games for you. Mm -hmm. Four times the value. More bang for your buck. It's like you're getting a month worth of podcast here. Three games and a DLC pack. Four games. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to start and then we will alternate. See. As usually that's how these things roll when we do grab bag episodes. If you've not been with us before for a grab bag, now you know. Uh, I'm going to begin with uh, a very anticipated title. I guess I mean both these are were pretty anticipated titles for me. But the the next installment of 2016 2016's ninth best game, Digimon Story Cyber Sleuth, with Digimon Story Cyber Sleuth Hacker's Memory. <laughs> came out on my birthday of all th- of all days so <laughs> happy birthday to you have some digimon yeah that was a weird coincidence yeah i even asked you i'm like did you get that for your birthday and you're like no nah. <laughs> nope it just came out that day it's a weird friday right. release of all things not the type of not the type of title you would expect for a friday release is it a nintendo title no it's a it's a playstation oh, exclusive yeah, that's even weirder because usually they're the Friday guys. Because like, because Dragon Ball was also a Friday release, but I can kind of see that because that's a bigger release. Yeah. But Digimon's like Digimon. <laughs> I mean, no disrespect oh, to the franchise, but it's kind of a niche title. Shrug shoulders. Yeah. But anyways, like uh, I've written about this. I there's a review on the side of the first game if you want to see that, and also there's a little bit of a write up on the 2016 Game of the Year awards about the first installment uh digimon story cyber sleuth was a very big surprise for me because going into it i wasn't really expecting much out of it like i thought like oh it's a i mean digimon games for the most part the ones i've played at least and that's mostly the ones on the ps1 because i skipped basically the rest of them since then they weren't great oh i bet i mean that's just kind of a thing of licensed titles like for the most part, they're usually not that great. It's it's that culture is changing, you know. In the last couple of years, we've seen a lot more licensed anime style games that have come out and have been pretty dang good. And the two I'm going to talk about are pretty good examples of this. But the game was very surprising just because of a the story was interesting and fun in a lot of different ways. Uh, the gameplay was very reminiscent to like Persona or Megami Tensei games with that style of combat where it's, you know, you're, you're exploiting weaknesses and leveling up uh Digimon instead of le- leveling up a character. And you basically, you basically get like all of like that style of gameplay plus like Pokemon style mechanics where you're like raising your Digimon, leveling them up, evolving them, all that sort of jazz. But you, you get to have like a party of like nine or so like you have three primary and then you can have like six as your backup which they'll all gain levels together which is a fantastic oh nice and the first game basically was kind of like oh dealing with this idea of like you get your like you get your like i guess your your person stripped out of you so you become like a digital form of yourself and also you become a cyber detective (laughs) as you do as you do and you like you try to figure out like what's going on with like the shadiness of the company that's running the this big virtual reality type thing called Eden. And basically that's the the plot of this this entire story. 
All right, so I have to ask you a question. Okay. I know nothing about Digimon. Digimon, no. digital monsters, Digimon are the champions. No, no, no. I know that stuff, but <laughs> like, so is it basically like a unique story, but with Digimon, or is it somehow tied to the actual like existing Digimon lore? As far as I'm, as far as I know, it's pretty much its own thing. I think it's like a, this is a spinoff because there is a okay. Digimon story series. And this is a spinoff of that, I believe. There is like there's one character that shows up that's from another series of Digimon games, but for the most part, I think these two games don't have anything to do with like the animes or anything like that, or like any other uh, game series that have been out there. So they're basically kind of their own thing. But there are some like crossover with like certain characters from like other game series, but like they're not really brought up in that way, essentially. Okay. But for hmm. but for the most part, you get you get like the the Digimon that like you you get and evolve and all that sort of stuff are like the ones that have been through like the anime, it's the all the games and all that sort of stuff. So like all so like all of them basically. It's it's basically like it's a Pokemon game where like you're gonna get all the Pokemon because of course okay. you would. Yeah. All that sort of stuff. Cool. Thank you. So I guess like another key point of the first game as well is that like. The reason there's so many Digimon in the world, in like the Eden world, the virtual reality world, is because they kind of like they leaked from the digital world, which is where they all come from, and they all want to try and figure out like why they're there and how to get back. And then basically all breaks loose, and there's a like a rift between our world, like the actual reality, not like the virtual reality space, and like the digital world and virtual reality. So like everything kind of just like gets jammed together because people tried to play God and. Bad things happen when you do that. <laughs> I'll never do that, guys. And so Digimon are like a virus. Kind of, yeah. Interesting. And also in the first game as well, there was like these giant like messed up versions of like Digimon. They were called eaters. And they basically would like attack people and eat them and take away all of their like human consciousness and memories. And it would basically put them into a coma in the real world. So it's like Persona 3. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> like I said, similarities. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting. I, not what I would <laughs> expect from a Digimon game. Yeah, I think it's, that, that's, that's one of the reasons why this was such a surprise to me. Is because it really wasn't what I was expecting at all. So for the, for the new game... It's very strange because it's not a sequel. It's a side story to that first game. So it runs concurrent with that first game. Huh. So you're playing through all of the events that happened through the first game, but from a different perspective. And in this, like, in the first game, you are kind of like the chosen one, essentially. You have that kind of role. In this one, you're just a guy <laughs> who is very mad that his, like, account gets stolen. And teams up with a hacker group to basically try and figure out what happened and get that back. And then a lot of crazy stuff happens. But along the way, you also run into a lot of the characters from the first game. Like, you run into the main protagonist's, like, friend or like friend group that they kind of hang around with from the first game. Uh, there's there's a, there's a two brief instances where you do, you do see the main protagonist from the first game, where, like, you, you cross paths. But that's pretty much it. Like, there's no real, like, interaction between the two characters. Which is kind of, like, it can be a bummer and also kind of, like, a good thing to kind of set these two apart. And they basically get those two instances out of the way very early. And then don't really go that way again. So, 
maybe that's for the best to set these two stories apart. But there is a lot of like crossover with characters you meet from the first game. But in this game, you get to see different sides of them and also see them fleshed out in a different light compared to how you see them in that first game. So you get to see them in different uh, circumstances here in the second game. You get to see them like when they like kind of go off and do their own thing. You'll see them like show up here and figure out, okay, this is what they were doing then. Hmm. But even though like this is a side story, like I think it would be a good game just to play on your own. Like there is like the, the you know the the winks and nods at like the first game that like if you know what's happening, you'll understand it a little bit better. But this is a game I think you could play on your own and still get the gist of it out of it and get like a good feeling from playing it because the main story itself doesn't really dive into like the story of the first game because the characters from the first game do their own thing by the end of the game and you are off doing your own completely separate thing. But there, there is like the context of like bad things are happening for both for both parties essentially. But there's different circumstances surrounding them, and eventually, you know, the event what happens at the end of the first game plays into the end of this game because the choice that's made there affects what happens at the end because you don't have any decision in this in this new game of you know what happens at the end of the first game essentially. But I think a key thing about this game is that. A lot of it is about identity. And like I talked about, the protagonist of Hacker's Memory is very upset that his account gets stolen from Eden. So basically, he's left identityless. So he has to basically make a new account. And when that happens, it can basically make people not believe who you are. Because it's not your original account. You could be someone else entirely, but you're just saying you're this person. Hmm. And the crux of like the first act of the game is okay, we gotta figure out who stole my account and why they did it. So you join up with this hacker group called Hootie. Hootie Hootie H U D I E. And it's H H what? H U D I E. Okay. And it's it's made up of three different three other characters. You have Ryuji who is the older character who basically is the leader of the group. Uh, Chitose, who's kind of like just the the more normal character, which is kind of weird because he's he's this weird, goofy character who all he wants to do is hit on girls. Yeah, he's that guy. But basically he kind of almost becomes the moral center of the group by the end of it, which is very strange. Oh my god. Yeah, it's real weird. And then you have Erica, who is Futaba from Persona 5. Alright. You realize that it could be like Hootie and the Blowfish, right? They are Hootie and the Blowfish. God, That's who they are. God. God. So she's Futaba. Does she look like Futaba? No, but her character is pretty much Futaba. She's a shut-in. She's a hacker. She's very smart with computers. But the key difference between, I guess, the two characters are, like, uh, when she was younger, she was in an accident. And it was an accident where her parents died during it. And the accident left her with, like, a condition where she can't take on too many memories or her brain will kind of like overload essentially. And huh. she has to, there's like this new experimental uh, treatment that they give her where they offload her memories onto a server to give her brain some relief so she can live comfortably for a while until like the, the, the symptoms start to come back. So she's another character that plays in a lot into identity because she has to come to the idea of like, okay, 
I have all of these memories on this server and they're like digitized essentially and all this stuff. How do I know what's real and what isn't? Mm -hmm. So she has to deal with that. Ryuji is a character that you pretty much from the beginning kind of see that like something's shady with him. And basically, spoilers, by the way, because this is a recently new game. I guess I should clarify that before we go on any further. Uh, you see pretty early on that he's working with the main antagonist from the first game. And essentially, they are blackmailing him because they have the way to treat Erica's disease, the only way to do it, and that's the only way that she's being kept alive. Oh. So he's basically doing all this dirty work for them, but not telling the rest of the group that he's doing this dirty work. Meanwhile as well, while you are trying to get your account back, you are getting these clues and stuff from this mysterious hacker named Kay, who's like, hey, I bet uh, this person, maybe they know something about your uh, account being hacked. And it's just like this weird mass dude, and you don't know who it is, and you don't find out until much, much later in the game. And another like big character that also comes up throughout the game is is, is your your best friend you, why you, <laughs> and basically he's kind of more of like an effeminate character. A lot of like he gets picked on a lot because they they think he's girly and stuff and all that sort of things. And he's not necessarily jazzed that you joined up with this hacker group to try and get your account back because he figured like oh we could do this together and you kind of went off and did your own thing. Like I understand, but. I wish we could have done this together. So there's that relationship as well. So you have like all these characters surrounding you. There is like one like disappointing thing I think about this game. And it's something the first game had, but this game doesn't. Uh, the first game allowed you to pick your protagonist's gender, which I thought was real ah. cool. This game, for whatever reason, doesn't allow you to do that. And there's no real discernible reason for the game not to be able to do that. Because this story could happen, or this story basically be, could take place if you're male or female. But for whatever reason, the game doesn't allow you to pick your gender, and it's kind of a bummer, considering the first game allowed you to do that. But this game does do some good improvements from the first game, like, you can kind of... There's, there's basically a way that you don't have to go to different locations to go to different spots that are very key and integral to the gameplay experience. Basically, you can kind of go to... Because the Hudi, uh, I guess, place they meet, their headquarters, is this manga cafe. And like there's all these like you know computer stations lined up. So you basically go to a computer of any kind, and it'll pop up a bunch of options. So you can go onto these BBS forums, which is where you get like all of your investigative quests, like all your side quests and all that stuff. Which is similar to the first game where you're going out and like solving uh, cases for people because you're a cyber sleuth. Uh, there's another option that lets you that allows you to go straight into Eden to go into all of the the virtual reality places where it's where you do all like your fighting and dungeon crawling for the most part for a good majority of the game. Uh, there's another option called Hacker's Memory, which plays into the title of the game, where you pick up these memories and play back, you know, past events of different characters throughout the game. They're not really necessarily important, per se, to the plot, but, like, there's kind of, like, here's a little thing to kind of flesh out these characters. And then also there is, like, a... There's a market where you can buy Digimon, which plays into a later quest where you can basically shut that down 
because it's immoral or just like keep it going because hey, I could buy some Digimon here. And then the final option is the Digilab where you go and like you have a farm of Digimon and that's where you can kind of let them uh, stay and level up and evolve and do all that sort of stuff while you have like your own party. Because the first game, basically you would take on quests, you'd go to Eden and you'd go to the Digilab, but they were all in separate locations. So this basically kind of streamlines that experience in a way that makes it a lot easier and a lot less cumbersome than the first game, which is very, very helpful in a way compared to the first game. But one of the main complaints about this game as well is that it is taking place during the first game. So basically all the assets are reused. Oh, I bet. So all like the Eden areas you go to are the same exact areas you went to in the first game. A lot of the uh, outside, like in the Tokyo area places you go are from the first game. Which I, I've seen a lot of people complain about that. Like, oh, they're just reusing areas. Which, I mean, that's a fair criticism. Because, yeah, they're doing that. They're reusing assets. They're reusing music. They're reusing all these areas. But by making this a side story to the first game, you can kind of justify it and get away with it in a weird way. No, it makes sense because, like you said, it's a side story. So, like, it makes sense that it would be, like, concurrent and that it would be the same places. And there are some, like, new um, areas. It's not just everything's not reused. Yeah. I mean, it, it makes sense. Yeah. And also, this game came out, like, just two years after the first one. So, it's a quick turnaround. <laughs> and obviously, it helps out, like, hey, they could just reuse a bunch of the same stuff from the last game. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like um, how Majora's Mask used a lot of the same, like, assets from Ocarina. It's it's a whole different story, but, I mean, it made it so it had, like, a year turnaround. Or Persona 3 to Persona 4. Actually, it's two years, but that's true. Persona 3 Persona 4. But anyways, uh, like I was talking about, the crux of the story is identity. So eventually, you know, you find out Ryuji's working for the bad guys. He goes off and kind of, like, does his own thing. There's this big showdown at uh, the Kamashiro Corporation server farm. And it's, like, this big server called Under Zero. And it's where, like, where basically all of their secrets are held. And there's a, there's a key event in the first game where you go and try and, like, take that thing down. And you also go there in this game. But pretty much bad things happen here. Because before this... You and Chitose have kind of been, like, talking about, like, Ryuji's kind of been weird lately. And Chitose's like, yeah, look, I'm going to, we're going to try and figure this out. Uh, I'm going to talk to him. I'm going to figure it out. And I'll get back to you. And we'll figure, we'll get us all sorted out. So, like, he, he weirdly becomes the moral center of the group, like I said. And, like, a way that you don't really expect him to. Because you kind of think he's just going to be, like, this goofball joke side character. Yosuke. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> but also, but he just becomes, like, very dependable by... Hmm by this point but there's probably a reason for that because you go to under zero uh you basically get there i think like after the main protagonists have had their battle and by this point there's a lot of eaters in this area and they're all taking down like a bunch of the hackers that are also here because there's the big showdown and a lot of hackers are in this area so a lot of the eaters are basically eating a bunch of the hackers and Ew. one of them goes after you and Ryuji and Chitose like knocks you both out of the way and takes the brunt of the eater and, and gets infected with Eden syndrome. So he's, he's put into a coma. 
Aww. And this is kind of like the spiral point for where Ryuji snaps. And you you basically leave the Under Zero server without him. And he just like stays there. And like in this weird funk. And basically the the evilness and like the bad i guess there's basically a digimon a bad digimon that's kind of taken over the server and it swallows him and his digimon whole and transforms him into like basically one of the antagonists that you have to go fight later on in the game because he starts going on like a rampage and like fighting other hackers because he he's basically just lost his mind he his digimon's eating the other people's digimon and that's how it gains more power and levels up and digivolves. It goes it goes crazy. It goes some places. So all of that happens. So you've lost Chitosa, you've lost Ryuji. You basically become like the leader of Hudi at this point, and you're the only one kind of like keeping it together because you you're the only one that's left to do anything. So at this point you're kind of like just taking on quests here and there. And uh your meeting place kind of becomes like the hospital. I think at one point because the Hudi location gets destroyed by Ryuji because he confronts uh, Erica while there and he basically is like, if it wasn't for you, all this is your fault. Like, nothing bad would have happened to me. It'd be better if you were dead. Like, all this sort of stuff because obviously he's lost his mind and everything. Like, one of the um, one of the big hacker groups is uh, like subcourt or sub leaders is there as well. And she gets all mad at him and basically Ryuji's Digimon evolves and destroys the entire building. And everything goes real bad there. So basically you become like, your headquarters is now like a hospital, which is like, I think it's Erica's hospital room because she has to go back there because her symptoms act up again. And basically you also have to, there's also the subplot of like you have to, you getting your account back. Because that's also a key integral part of this. And... There was the moment I talked to you about this where you have like a confrontation with Kay and he takes off his mask and he has your face. Mm-hmm. And that was, I was like, what, what does that mean? Does that mean I'm just a fake the entire time? Does that mean the real me was this person? But it unfortunately doesn't kind of go that way. It basically is the person who stole your account was Kay. And eventually you go hunt him down and you realize that Kay was your best friend, you, who had been oh. basically manipulated by this mask that he picked up that was also a Digimon. Everything's a Digimon is bad, apparently, in this universe. <laughs> <laughs> but it basically took all of his, like, negative feelings that he had been feeling of being, like, left out and all that stuff and, like, used them to manipulate him to feeling more powerful and going all the way to, like, stealing your account and using it as a way to, like oh, if I steal his account, then we can, like, team up together and go against all these bad hackers and make it so, like, it's all cool and we're doing this together for justice and everything. So you have to fight him and take him down. And eventually you do and kind of, like, get him to snap out of it. And then, basically, the next kind of point is you have to face uh, Ryuji. Mm -hmm. Because his Digimon has kind of, like, grown to, like, very, very, very tall, like, skyscraper size. So you fight him Jesus. on like a bridge that like the cops have coordinated off. <laughs> so you do that, you you basically get him back to normal pretty much. Because I think at one point you're able to fight him and like get him to snap out of it, but then like 
but then his Digimon basically eats him <laughs> to absorb oh. him, and then that's how he's able to like it's able to heal, and then you fight the, fight it on the bridge at the end. Which basically it kind of almost seems like it's the final battle because it plays the main theme during the the fight itself. But we talked yeah, about that, but it actually isn't, which is the the surprising oh. thing. All while this is happening, like you and Erica at one point went into where the eaters are from and stole information from the eaters to game to get Chatosi's memory data back to basically get him reawoken and out of his Eden syndrome. So he's like the first person ever to awake from that. Cause basically once you get Eden syndrome, you're, you're done. So he's the first person to awaken from that. And you kind of, you're supposed to use that to, to get Ryuji back to his senses. Like, Hey, he's fine. Look, you don't have to go on this murderous rampage anymore. Everything's cool. But it obviously doesn't work and all that sort of stuff. But she's able to like manipulate uh the eater data and she comes she creates these like little three mini eaters that don't like necessarily do anything bad, but they kind of are able to find uh Ryuji's Digimon, and that's how you find him and go off and fight. So you beat his Digimon, you free him, you free him and his original Digimon, who then digivolves to help everyone out. So basically the crew's all back together. But Erica has like another fit and her condition worsens a lot to where the eater the little mini eaters she has turn on her and start to devour her. Oh Jesus. And basically they assimilate into like an eater form but with like her body just hanging out of it. And that's essentially the final confrontation you have because you have to go back into Eden which is basically being destroyed by eaters everywhere and you have to go through a bunch of those and you have to fight your way to Erica's memory server and have the final count or final battle there which actually the final yeah the final down. countdown there's actually a really cool thing like when you go into her like memory server is that you have to like it goes to like it gives you a path to walk along walk along, walk along. But in the background, it's playing, like, this, like, video. So it's not, like, a static background, but it's, like, a video playing in the background of, like, here's these different moments of her memories of, like, these bad memories that she's she's had to relive of, like, oh, like, I've had all this pain and suffering. Here's, like, when my parents died and I had to be in the hospital for a long time and all that sort of stuff. And it was, like, a really interesting aesthetic choice that I don't really see a lot of games do. So I thought it was really interesting and cool. But by the end of it, you have to face the eater version of Erica and also just like the eaters that have like assimilated her entire memory server. So you have to like, which I guess I should preface by the way, uh, Erica gets her own Digimon. It's called Wormmon and it's able to basically get the memories from her server and integrate them into its own memories. So like they kind of act similarly by the end of it and you go off with Warmon to fight this Erica version. And by the end of it, this digitized version of Erica shows up and is pretty much like supposed to be like representative of all her memories. And it, it fuses with Warmon to create this like new Digimon. And that's how you fight. You have to fight off the, the eater version of Erica. And the crux of this is basically if you defeat this version of Erica, that's been taken over by the eaters, she dies Oh. And that but that's what you have to do. So she dies. So she, so she dies. 
Jesus. And then the the version that's like like evolved with Erica's memories and Warmon, which is kind of like her and the Digimon are like combined together essentially. She realizes what happens at the end of the first game, which is basically all the Digimon are going to go back to the digital world and there will be no traces of them left in reality and basically no one will remember what happened. So she's aware of that happening and basically is like, hey, you guys have to leave now or else you're going to be stuck here forever. So she basically forces Ryuji and Chitose off. You stay back and are like, why do you have to leave and all that sort of stuff? And she kind of explains it like, hey, you know, like Warmon at first explained to me like, hey, I'm from the digital world. Here's all this cool things that happened. And she was like, look, I'm dying but it would be real cool if I could like go on this adventure and see all this cool stuff before I like I have to leave and a lot. So she decides that in this new form of herself, she's going to go back with all the other Digimon and go to the digital world. And then you basically leave her with your Digimon. So like it basically pops out your entire party and they go off with her. And that's basically, I think you get, you get credits in or maybe it's a little bit after. So that happens and she goes off and you guys split up. And then the end scene basically is it cuts back to reality. You go back to the QD location. It's you, the character you, you the protagonist, mm-hmm. <laughs> Chitose and Ryuji. And they're like, oh yeah, we're going to go off and do something. We're going to go get something to eat. And Chitose mentioned something about Ryuji's parents. And he's like, yeah, it's uh, it's real something that I'm an o- I was an only child, huh? Oh no. Yeah. And then like you hear that and like you hesitate and you look back to the room where Erica used to be in and you go in it and it's all just like storage now. That's upsetting. Yeah. This is real serious for what I was thinking was No like, kidding. Yeah, like I, I always thought Digimon was like a children. Yeah. Thing. And then like the last the last shot is like a blue butterfly passes by you and goes and hangs out in that room. Because her Digimon form was like a butterfly. Persona. And, and also Persona. She's yeah. also very upset with Memento Mori, all that sort of stuff. So <laughs> it kind of fits in. But yeah, like, I was really shocked how emotional that ending was. And also that they were b- enough to be like, we're going to kill this character off and leave her dead. Yeah. And leave it so, like, no one remembers her. Yeah, it's really depressing. It is. It's really depressing. But that's that's the consequence of how the first game ends is that you you basically you wipe everyone's memories so everyone can go back to living normal lives. It's sad. Wow. Yeah. What a downer way to start this podcast, man. But like I had some kind of reservations going into that game just because it was a side story and I was like, you know, is it going to be as good as the first game and quite honestly, I think this might be the better of the two games. Nice. Just because, like, a that's always a good yeah, thing. Yeah, I think because like they are able to streamline some of the some problems that the first game had, to where it makes it a little bit easier to get around uh, to place to place. And also, this isn't really like your your prototypical chosen one story. It's just, hey, you're a dude who's thrust into a bad situation. Uh, you, I mean, you have the determination to keep everyone together, and you just go and do it. You're not destined to do this. You're not just thrust into this role to save the world. You're just a dude who wants to save his friends. That's it. So I, I kind of appreciate that being like the story instead of just 
as much as I like the first game story, like it is, it falls into a lot of typical JRPG tropes that I think this one kind of yeah. does does a good job of trying to steer clear of. Nice. But yeah, that's Digimon. Wow. <laughs> wow. Told you those games were surprising. Yeah, I'm just shocked. <laughs> they're good games. <laughs> if you haven't played them, you should play them. Like they're they're on PS4. They're also on Vita. Vita never die. Vita never die. And if you play the first one, you get some cool bonuses from playing the. Oh, that's also a thing I should mention that. Uh, if you play the first game, you get to bring over your save data from the first game into this game. It gives you some cool mm -hmm. bonuses and all that stuff. But it also keeps your play data, like your playtime data. So like I started this game with 39 hours. <laughs> It was interesting that you sent me that screenshot. I was like, what? And I don't think I've ever seen a game do that before. I haven't. So by the end of it, I was at like 80 hours. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that, that was a, that's an interesting thing, but also just kind of, it fits in with the motive or the motif that like these are, these games are taking place in the same universe, in the same story, in the same space of time. So it makes sense. Yeah. Oh, why don't you tell me about some Chante DLC? Well, actually, it's an interesting segue because um, Friends to the End is also about a group of friends who are trying to save their friend. <laughs> so there is a point in the main game of Chante Half Genie Hero where um, the antagonist Risky Boots uses this machine that she has tricked the Shantae's uh, uncle into building and it essentially turned Shantae into an anti-genie um, so she turns evil and so the whole plot of Friends to the End is that Shantae has three friends that always help her out in her quests and it's Bolo, Sky, and Roddy Tops uh, and so once Shantae turns evil and they're like, well, crap, we got we to gotta help her. We got to figure out what to do. So um, they see like this weird aura around her. And Uncle is like, well, what if you went into the aura? That'd be a good idea, right? <laughs> and so they go and essentially what it does is warps you into Shantae's memories of what's happened throughout the main game. And so you play through all of the levels from the main game, but as the three characters are friends. And the twist on this one is that you have to work together with the three of them. And so Sky has the ability that she can, one, hatch an egg to make a platform, and two, she can have um, like a bird shield essentially and she attacks with birds as well <laughs> yeah I mean her name is Sky and she is also the one who controls the birds in the game Bolo has like a hookshot claw and so he's the one who can like grapple onto things he also has um, a pretty decent range attack which is cool I never once used his um his special move, which is like throwing bombs. So I don't know what that's even. I accidentally pressed the button a few times, but it never did anything. So, uh, And then Roddy Tops is her zombie friend. 
And Roddy Tops, her special move is that she eats a brain to recover health. And her attack is that she removes her leg and just hits people with it. And do. her attack is, yeah, her attack is the strongest of the game, but um, it's slow as heck and it's not ranged, so it makes it really difficult. Um, which, speaking of really difficult, <laughs> this DLC is really difficult. And I know that um, for our Game of the War- Game of the Year awards, I gave um, the Pirates Queens qu- Pirate Queens Quest. I can't speak today. <laughs> um, the DLC award because it was fantastic, and it added a whole lot with you playing as Risky Boots. I can't say that I like this one nearly as much. You were um, very frustrated throughout it. Yeah. So. You get three hearts for all these characters. They share the same health. That's difficult. You have to switch between the three to solve all kinds of platforming puzzles. And most of them are hard to actually figure out. But the timing of them is just not good. So it's it's a little difficult in that sense. It's got a weird leveling system. So... Essentially, you collect gems throughout the game, and that can level up your characters to level four. Level four is the max, and that will affect how hard they hit with their attack. If they get hit by an enemy, they automatically start losing gems, which makes them lose a level. So you can be like in a boss fight, go in level four, and then you end it at level one. It's insane. It's not really a good system. Right. One of the things that I said to you, and I, I pulled it up because I I think it's an interesting point. Um, for the main game, I put six hours, nearly seven hours into it, mm-hmm. and I was 93% complete on that. Uh, Pirate Queen's Quest, I put four hours and 40 minutes and 95% complete. This one I put two hours and 52 minutes and 75% complete. So you can very much tell that I didn't like this one as much. Yeah. I like the story of it because it is just essentially like you going through her memories and trying to save Shantae. But you get some interesting uh, little details like you find out that Shantae actually knew Roddy Tops before she became a zombie. So, like, at one point you see what she looked like when she was alive. And they're like, oh, I guess Shantae knew you before you died and has just never told you. And that's really fascinating. And I feel like they're not going to ever bring it up again. But it's weird that Shantae would keep that from her. Yeah. It's a weird... Yeah, like I don't understand why he would be like, "Oh, I yeah, I knew you before you died." Well, I'll never tell you though. Mm-mm. It's really, really strange. Um, the one thing is that Shantae is always really, really good with humor. Like the writing in all the games is fantastic, right? And it, it's still really good here. Um, there's a lot of like fourth wall breaking, like the the fight with Squid Baron. He's talking about. Um, Basically how it's a rehearsal and 
Uh, he's saying like, oh, I need to do this by the script. I need to do this by the script. And uh, then we'll drop the title card and, you know, you can fix that in post. And then once the title card for Squid Baron shows up, it says like Squid Baron and then says like fix this title in post. <laughs> it's Ammo Baron that after a level where you do like flying carpet stuff, he talks about how he wants to take you on a, fl- a flying carpet ride because you're two girls he ignores bolo (laughs) and he's talking about how he wants to like go flying through the clouds and he wants to run his fingers along the water and um basically making a metric butt ton of aladdin references and um so his title card is ammo baron shining shimmering soldier so i stuff like that is fabulous and i'm really glad that that's there and it's cool because you get to learn a little bit more about her friends because they're they're there, but you don't always get a whole lot of detail on them. Mm-hmm. But man, it's hard. The one downside. And yeah, and there was really no reason. Like there are collectible squids in there. And at one point I was like, there's no point in me even trying to do this because you don't get any kind of reward and since I was playing it on the Wii U, there aren't really, like, trophies or anything. So I was like, I'm not bothering. I'm just <laughs> going to keep going. So um, there's not really a whole lot of incentive on the collectibles other than if you're, like, a trophy hunter. But, I mean, it was good. But I'm glad I didn't pay for it. Not the best of the DLCs. It's really not. Um because I know I've mentioned it before, but I, I was a backer on Kickstarter of this game. So I got Shantae and then I got the DLC packs for free. And um, so I'm really, really glad I didn't pay for this one. But it, it was not the worst send-off that my Wii U could have had. Um, but I definitely would recommend playing the original game in Pirate Queen's Quest, but I can't really say that I'd be, like, jumping to tell you, like, hey, you should play Friends to the End. That's real fun, because no. The real surprise Um, is someone booting up their Wii U in 2018. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I know. That's that's a real thing. And, I mean, I even booted it up in 2017, and I had to get it fixed. Um, so I specifically got my Wii U fixed so I could play the Shantae DLC. That was a thing. Yeah. <laughs> so that's my send off on my Wii U. I might eventually go back and play Tokyo Mora Sessions unless they release it on the Switch, which they should. Absolutely. But let's do it, you cowards. Yep. So it was kind of like a lukewarm, but... I still have so many positive feelings towards the game that I can't really be mad about it. Right. It doesn't hinder your experience with the main game or anything else. No, I just, it's definitely not anywhere near the level of the first DLC pack. And I wonder if it's just because it was like a stretch goal DLC. Yeah, that's fair. Um, So maybe they just didn't put as much care into it, but it was tough. T-U-F-F, tough. So that's what I have to say about that DLC pack. Well, 
Dragon Ball. Speaking of fourth wall breaking, let's talk about Dragon Ball Fighters. Zed. Zed. Oh, man. This is a Dragon Ball game I've been waiting nearly 20 years for. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> they finally made a good Dragon Ball game. <laughs> wow. It's, that's that might just be the most shocking thing of all. It's it's a it's a real good Dragon Ball game. I have no positive feelings for Dragon Ball at all. No, you don't. <laughs> so like, I'm glad that there was a good game, but at the same time, it's like, man, Dragon Ball sucks. So, <laughs> hot takes. I think the weird thing about this game is that it's called Dragon Ball Fighter Z Z whatever. <laughs> the story mode takes place I guess during Super so the new series really yeah that's unexpected because <laughs> there are two characters specifically from Super in this game there is uh, Hit and Goku Black you said Matt Mercer is in here right yeah he is he is Hit oh Matt Mercer because this game this game definitely needed three versions of Goku which it does have it has Goku, Goku Black, who is a villainous version of Goku, and also uh -huh. Super Saiyan God, Super Saiyan Goku. Um, could you clarify to me real quick what <laughs> genre of game this is? It is a fighting game. Okay, that makes sense. I'm just going to daydream about Matt Mercer. <laughs> Uh, this is from Arc System Works, so that gives you an idea of kind of like what style of game this is going to be, or like I style mean, of what fighting game is going to be. And that's good. Basically, like the it's the Guilty Gear Exerd style of graphics, where it's you know it looks like two D sprites, but they the way they shift cameras, perspectives, and all that, they are three D modeled characters, and it looks f fantastic. That sounds awesome. It is. It is. It is awesome. If it were not Dragon Ball, I'd probably play it because. <laughs> It sounds great in terms of actual, like, y you have me on, like, who made it and what it looks like, and then you're like, it's Dragon Ball. I'm like, oh. <laughs> you have me with how it looks and who made it and Matt Mercer, and then you're like, oh, it's Dragon Ball. I'm like, oh, never mind. Dang it. I'll, I'll pass. And even, like, just the way uh, the mechanics are, like, if, especially if you're looking at an Arc Systems fighting game. You usually expect that, like, the it's going to be complicated. Yep. This really isn't. Really? If you look at a specific character's uh, special moves page, it's probably, like, six or seven things. That's surprising. Yeah. So a lot of it is, wow. like, the most complicated things you do are quarter circles and a button press. That's crazy mm -hmm. and sounds nothing mm -hmm. like them. Uh, a lot of it will be like, you can do a super move by doing like quarter circle and square triangle and circle, which is light, medium, and heavy. And X is like your key attack, your fireballs, all that sort of stuff. Uh, you can do a quarter circle with X and do a different kind of fireball. So like with Goku, he can do like just key attacks. Or if you do quarter circle and X, you can do a Kamehameha wave. Um, <sighs> and then all you also have like your super moves. So like... You have uh, seven bars worth of meter, which you basically you hold. You can hold square and X to just charge and just sit there and yell like like a Dragon Ball type episode. As you do. As you do. Uh, you have like just regular super attacks, which are just a quarter circle and R1. 
That's your super move. And that'll Are you serious? I am dead serious. <laughs> I cannot f***ing believe. And that'll take usually just like a bar. Uh you can also do like most of the, most of the like meteor attacks or the super like the super super moves. Those are most likely a quarter circle back and R1 or R2 and those take up 3 meters. And also you can kind of like for specific characters like while you're doing that you can also hit R1 and hold it again and it'll like make it even more powerful and take like a few more bars a meter. But yeah, like all of the the super moves are just a quarter circle and R1 and R2 or a quarter circle back and R1 and R2. It's very accessible. I mean, obviously there is depth to the combos in there. Like there's a combo trainer where you can kind of see like, "Oh, you know, I can do a launcher, follow them, do a key attack, chain that into a super attack. All that sorts of stuff is in there. Like, there's depth to this game. And also, this is a 3v3 tag game. So, it's not 1v1. You, like, there is also, like, there's ways you can combo in just, like, doing a regular combo. Tag in. Continue the combo. And if you, like, maybe if you're lucky, you can then do another tag in. Or get, like, an assist from one of your tag characters and have them do an attack. Like, if also, if you're doing a super attack... You can, like, hit L1 and L2 while you're doing it, and, like, the your tag characters will come in and do their super attack with you. So you get, like, even more damage output and all that sort of stuff. It seems relatively simple, but there is depth to it, which I think is is good. But it's also accessible to newer players because, A, it's a Dragon Ball game, so, you know, right. people who aren't fighting game aficionados are not going to just be the only people who are picking this up. There's going to be a lot of people who don't play fighting games who are grabbing this and maybe aren't going to know the nuances of combos and all that sort of stuff. So I think doing this the way, like doing the uh, the combos, the attacks, the supers and all that sort of stuff in a more simple way is a benefit for the game. And also, the super attacks are f- cool looking. So it just makes you feel real cool when you can pop those off real easily and just make cool sh- happen on the on at a whim. I mean, it's 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 a really smart move, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like you said, it makes it more accessible because their games are usually not very accessible. Yeah, exactly. Their games are nuts. And uh, given how unfortunately popular um, Dragon Ball is, <laughs> it uh, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's weird to me, but it makes sense. Like, there's even like. You can, if you knock someone out, like you hit them with a heavy and knock them, like, and take out their life bar, you can basically knock them off the stage and put them, like, through, like, a giant, like, cliff on the outside of the stage or, like, a rock or something. It basically looks like something that's from the show. And also, there are, also there are like, specific uh, finishers that you can do that are, like, basically just homages to what happens in the show. So, like, if you fight, Go- if you have Goku and you fight Frieza on Planet Namek... You can, if you, and you beat him at the very end with like a dramatic finish, you can trigger a scene that is basically what happens at the end of the Frieza saga in Dragon Ball Z. Which is I mean, real cool. It's cool. I, I mean, <laughs> I'm giving it crap. I know. But like, that, that's, that's really a neat idea. Maybe like the one downside to this game is that there are no menus. What? You, you start the game and you go into a lobby. And you run around with other players, and that's how you you go to you go and find your story mode, your training, your arcade mode, your online fights, uh, the store where you spend your money. You get 
that's where you find all of your game options. There's no just set menu. Every time you boot up the game, you're going into a lobby full of other people that's running around. Really weird. It is. And it's it's a little like not great because obviously it's going to take you longer to go and find the option you want than it would just be like boot up a menu and just scroll and go. I kind of see what they're going for because the way the lobby system works is that like you're running around with all these different characters and like you get to customize like you get you you get these like little chibi forms of all the Dragon Ball characters and a lot of it's very fan servicey with how they do this. So like there's with the lobby characters you get to choose from there's a lot of them that are even that aren't represented in the game itself. So you'll get like different versions of uh different characters and it'll be like here's like hey you remember the specific moment that this character did well here's a version of it represented like there's like casual forms of the characters uh battle hardened versions of the characters uh costumes where it was very like specific point in the series even going back i think perhaps even like to dragon ball the original series and all that sort of stuff so like it's that's very fan service a lot of this game is kind of just it's fan servicey but is that necessarily a bad thing? No, no, I don't think it is. I just think, like, the way they implement the lobby system isn't the best. No, that makes sense. Uh, the story mode is interesting. Because, like I said, it takes place, I guess, during Super. Um, basically, all of the bad guys get revived. So, like, Frieza, Cell, those people are back. Uh, and... There's a there's a character they made specifically for this game called Android 21 and she's the antagonist for all of this. And the points where you get story beats in this game are in the story mode are cool because it basically feels like an episode of Dragon Ball. Down to like just the minutia of like oh these these sound effects are happening where I expect them. These music cues are happening when I want or I'm expecting them to happen. And also, it's it's the English dub team that Funimation has been working with for the past, like, ten years. So, it's the voices you know. For the most part. Like, I think there's a couple differences. Um, I guess the voice actor for Frieza, like, was out sick during this time. And, like, they replaced him with his brother. Which is a weird thing you would think of, but it actually works. It makes sense. So, it's not like there's, like, a discrepancy in quality or anything like that. But for the most part, like, all of the characters you expect to be there are there and who they are voiced by. So, like, all that's there. And it's and the Japanese dub's there if you want that, too. But the story mode is kind of just, like, it's it's what you would expect from a Dragon Ball story. It's like, oh, here's these bad things that are happening. We gotta go fight them. Let's go get Goku and his pals together. They're gonna go beat up the bad guy. But... The way they kind of script everything is that there's this weird thing that is hindering everyone's power. And the only way that you can get powered up is if you have this other soul inside you that is a link. And you let that thing, you let that soul take control of your body and that allows you to tap into like your power that you normally have. That link is you, the player. And basically, specifically, there are moments where the characters look at the sc- look at the screen and address you specifically. It's the weirdest thing. That would make me really uncomfortable. It's 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 something that I was like I was not at all expecting to like them just basically break the fourth wall and be like, oh hey, well, what do you think about this? 
it's, it's super, super weird. I guess it kind of works, just for, like the weirdness of the story they're trying to make, but it's something that, I don't know, it's strange. The only downside of the story mode is that you have to play a lot of fights through it, and it's like laid out like a mobile game. So like, oh. chapter one, here's this map, uh, here's these fights you could go do, you basically progress until you find the boss fight. And then that's how you progress through the story. The only downside is that you're fighting a lot of fights, and a lot of those fights aren't interesting. I've heard like the the back half of the story mode, because there's like three different arcs of the story, but it's all kind of telling the same the same similar story. Uh, the back half of it is where like the game kind of starts to ramp up in difficulty. It makes it a little bit harder, because like the I've got through the first arc. I haven't got through the, the second two, or the other two yet. But the final boss of the first arc was, like, the most difficult fight of that arc, which rightfully so, because that character was, like, a lot more higher level than me. But I was still able to beat it. But the fights leading up to that, and even the fights where I'm at now, it's just, like, you can do auto combos and get through it pretty easily. And that's, that's basically, I think, the only downside to this is, just like, you're fighting a lot of fights just to get through the story, to get through these specific story beats. And all those fights are just not interesting you're only doing it so you can level up your characters and it can just be kind of boring mm. but I mean like I kind of want to see like okay where's the story heading like I want to see these characters have these interactions with each other I want to see that part but I have to go through kind of like this eh, parts of the story just to get to it and that's that's not fun no that's a bummer yeah but everything else I think is is pretty good like the online matchmaking works pretty well um I mean, obviously you're gonna get your your crap kicked in because people are already like fantastic at the game even though it's like been out for five days <laughs> <laughs> so they'll just like pin you against the wall and you're like i'm just stuck here now i this is where i live getting beat up constantly <laughs> over and over send help and there's a lot of options that you can use with that so there's like there's ranked mode, casual mode, there's an arena mode, which is a little bit similar to casual, and then like ring match where you can kind of like basically that's like where you can kind of try to group people that are in the same lobby as you into a series of fights together. Also, I guess you could probably do that as a way to get you and some friends together and do fights that way. But I think the crux of this game is the fighting, the way it looks, and how it basically it looks like you just ripped off a HD version of a Dragon Ball Z episode and put it into a game. And it's fantastic. A plus aesthetic. It's the only nice. it's the only reason I would actually want to see a Persona 5 Arena because I want to see Arc Systems do that engine with Persona. And see them pull off like the the 2D and 3D camera perspective model shifts make it look like the Guilty Gear and look make it look like this game to where it just looks phenomenal. Yeah, but then we have more Persona 5, so... I mean, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a different... That's, <laughs> that's a bad part, but it'll look real good. Yeah. Fair. But yeah, like... After years and years of playing either just alright to playing terrible Dragon Ball games... <laughs> There's finally a good one. 
You finally got what you've been looking I for. I finally got my white whale. <laughs> oh my god. Wow. It's a good game. It's well worth it. But I mean, obviously, I don't know if it's going to convert you if you're not a fan of Dragon Ball. <laughs> or if like you don't even have any like preconceived notions about the series at all. Yeah. I've seen people who aren't Dragon Ball fans who have come from away from this game buying seasons of the anime, so your mileage may vary, but if you're if you've been a fan at all of the series at any point in time, like this is the definitive game to get. Bar none. It's high praise. High praise. The highest of praise. Sold. <laughs> all right. Let's finish this off with your last final game, which All right. we should preference with some content warnings, most likely. Yeah. Um. So this game is real messed up. And so if you have any kind of sensitivities to um, suicide, depression, murder, um, psychopathic tendencies, those kinds of things, maybe we'll see you next week. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, um, because this game is so messed up. Really messed up. So this is your fair warning that, like, if, if you have any kind of sensitivity to that, like, maybe peace out. Yeah. Um, with that said, Doki Doki Literature Club. Wow. <laughs> Do you know anything about Doki Doki Literature Club besides, like, what I've told you. The only things I really know about the game is that looks can be deceiving. Yes. And it's it's a visual novel, but it goes in places you are not expecting. And obviously, like like I said, we were talking about this earlier uh, off air, but a lot of people have prefaced it by being like, hey, you should probably check out the content warnings for this game before you get into it. Because there are some, there's some things in this game that might be upsetting to people and... That's pretty much it. Like, I don't know, like, I the mean, story. I don't know what happens. Oh so. The game starts off with a content warning. So that that should be your, like, indicator that it's about to pop off. Yeah. But, so it starts off and it's, like, really bright and colorful and cutesy. And it's got, like, this really happy, catchy music. Um. And like you said, it's a visual novel, so... It kind of, like, lures you into, like, thinking it's going to be, like, a prototypical dating sim. It does. That's exactly what it does. It makes you think that it's going to be a dating sim. So you play as this guy who is best friends with one of the characters. Her name is Sayori. And Sayori is in the literature club, and she asks, like, hey, protagonist, do you want to join the literature club? Which, for the record, you do name your protagonist. Right. That's important. Uh, it'll come up later. So Sayori asks you to come join the literature club, and the protagonist is like, oh, man, there are four hot girls here. Of course I'm going to join. This is great. And um, so the gist of the beginning is that you join the literature club, and you have Sayori, who's your childhood best friend. You have Yuri, who's kind of like the quiet, shy type, who's really into books. Um, you have Netsuki, who's um, basically your Sundari. Um, she is really into manga. 
And then you have Monica, and she is the um, not captain. She's the club president. Club president. There you go. She's the club president. And um, Monica tasks everybody with as a getting to know you exercise. She wants you to write a poem and then come into the literature club the next day and present the poem to everybody. And so that's where it comes across as your dating sim area area, and that it gives you a poem writing mechanic where you have like 10 pages and you have to select words. And depending on like who you want to date, you would pick words that you think would be associated with them. And it doesn't necessarily make an actual poem for you, but it's literally just to choose which route you're going to go on. And so... This is actually some of your hints that things are going to get weird because every once in a while you'll get a word in there that you're like, what? Why would that word be in there? <laughs> um, but you just kind of brush it off. Dating sim. It's cute. It's got a little happy music. Um, so you come back and whoever the poem is for, you get to like have the traditional scene with them. And... Um, it's usually something pretty lighthearted, like Natsuki's is um, talking about her favorite manga, and you decide to read the manga with her. Yuri's is um, reading her favorite book with her. Um, I don't remember Sayori's. Whoops. Um, and you can't write a poem for Monica yet. Because she, she's the last one, probably. She's locked. Yeah. So... Um, you have those three as your choices and you keep going. Um, and things get really, really bizarre. (laughs) So you start planning for the cultural festival as you do. (laughs) And whoever you end up picking the most, um, for your poems, you end up having like a scene with them preparing for the cultural festival. But before that, you end up going to Sayori's house and she drops a bomb on you that like she has severe depression and she has issues getting out of bed sometimes and that you're the only one she can rely on. It's not something you would expect. No, especially that early on. Yeah, no, it's like the third day or something. And so it's, it's concerning because you're like, Oh, this is the best friend. That's not okay. And, um, at one point you can either confess to her that you are in love with her or you can like reject her and say that like, you're going to be friends forever, that kind of thing. Right. And, um, it doesn't matter which one you pick because, uh, the next day you go to the literature club or you go to school, not literature club, you go to school and Monica's like, oh, hey, Sayori's not here. And you're like, yeah, that's weird. Sayori's not here. You know, sometimes she's late. So, you know, it'll be okay. And then, like, she's late and she's late and she's late. And then he remembers, like, oh, that conversation that we had, that's concerning. I should go check on her and show her that I care. And he goes to her house and she is hanged herself. What the fuck? So you just get this scene of, like, her hanging on a rope in her bedroom and you get end it you just a title card that says end <laughs> jesus yeah 
it's really, really messed up. So you're like, oh, wow, okay. Um, and then it goes back to the title screen where it's all like pink and happy <laughs> and has the great music. But Sayor is missing. Oh. The, the title card always has all four girls on there, but Sayori is like corrupted. So then you can pick either Yuri or Natsuki, depending on your choices. It ends up going the exact same. Like every single thing is repeated from the first two days. Mm -hmm. Literally every single, like the dialogue's repeated, but there's no mention of Sayori. Huh. Like the the first day, she's like, yeah, wow, we finally have four members so we can be an official club. Huh. You're like, oh, oh, this is weird. This is really weird. <laughs> and um, so at one point, if you start like pursuing Natsuki, you start getting like dialogue box um, corruptions. Hmm. Where weird text keeps popping up that shouldn't be there. Um, indications that she has an abusive dad starts popping up, but it's all in black as opposed to like the pink. There's hints that like he starves her. Jesus. And that's why she's so small. And at one point, her eyes and her mouth just turn completely black, like pixelated. And. It goes to a scene where, like, you see that, and then Monica's like, oh, hey, I have a granola bar. You're acting like that again, Natsuki. And, whoa. What the f***? Did, did she see what was going on? That's really messed up. And so you keep getting these corruptions, and um, you start getting poems that are really, really weird. Like, there's one that... Um, is is talking about like how she likes to cut open her skin and like leave marks of it and there's just like a smear of blood on the poem. Uh. Yeah. And it turns out that Yuri is obsessive. And so when she gets really excited, she cuts herself. Hmm. And there's this one scene where she's going to make tea. And so she says that she's going to go get water and she'll be right back to make the tea. And the protagonist is concerned because she hasn't come back. And she, uh, he goes out in the hall and he finds her and she has cut herself a lot. And as you get that reveal, everything just like reverses. And then it starts back to the tea scene. Like, nothing happened. What the f***? Yeah. Um, so after a few days, if you're pursuing Yuri... Actually, you could pursue Natsuki, too. But um, Yuri starts getting really, really obsessed with the protagonist. Mm -hmm. Like, really, really creepily obsessed. And on the last day before the cultural club, which if you remember, last time we did this, Sayori hung herself. Yuri confesses her love to the protagonist. Again, you can either accept it or reject it. Regardless of your option, she takes out a kitchen knife and stabs herself twice in the stomach and once in the chest. <laughs> what? Yes. Um. So she's lying on the floor, bleeding out, and... You start getting, like, 
really corrupted text. It's like a bunch of letters and numbers, and it doesn't actually mean anything unless you click on the history button. So, like, usually in visual novels, that'll tell you, like, what has been said previously. But this corruption is just, like, a bunch of dialogue from Monica. Huh. And um, what ends up happening is that this text keeps on going and keeps on going, keeps on going. You see, like, the lighting change and you see, like, the blood drain out of Yuri. And then it's about, like, at least five minutes that this is going on. And then Monica appears and she's like, oh, have you been here all weekend? And you realize that you've just been sitting there with Yuri's corpse all weekend while this corruption was happening. What the f***? Yeah. Natsuki ends up, like, puking. Um, There's also a Natsuki end that isn't as weird, but she does break her own neck. Ugh. And then runs at you. Oh. Yeah. Um, but once these endings happen, Monica starts talking and she's like, you know what? I'll just get rid of them. And so you see a box appear on the top left. And it's like, uh, like Yuri character dot da 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 da. And Natsuki character da 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 da. Deleted, deleted. So it's like a command prompt. Yeah. Huh. And you find out that Monica knows that she's in this game. Huh. And Monica has been wanting to be with you, and she's mad because you've been writing poems for these girls, and you haven't been writing one for her. And so it turns out that Monica has been corrupting their personalities to the point where they do these crazy things like hang themselves and stab themselves, break their own neck, that kind of thing. Just so she can get rid of them and be with you. Again, this is a really messed up game. <laughs> you don't say. Um, so there's a point where she gets you in a room by herself and it's just like a close-up of her face and she has her arms crossed and she's looking at you across the desk. And she has, like, the entire explanation of what's been going on. She knows she's in the game. She She's upset because you haven't been pursuing her. She just wants to spend time with you. Um, at this point, she actually can look through your computer. Oh, I, I've heard about this. Uh-huh. Instead of the name that you wrote at the beginning as the protagonist, she actually says your name that, like, is the user on the computer. Right. Mm-hmm. And so she starts referring to you as that name. And she, um, if she knows that you're recording the game, then she does a jump scare. What the f***? Because she's like, oh, I see you're recording this. I gotta do something about that. What the f***? Yeah. It there's so much fourth wall breaking at this point. That's and rad. She explains to you like how she went through the files and um, like deleted the characters. And so at this point in the game, you're stuck. You can't do anything but sit there and talk with Monica unless you follow her instructions and go into the folder and delete the Monica character file. Shut the f- up. <laughs> That is what you have to do to complete the game, is you go in and you remove Monica. Wow. Yeah. 
So then you get an ending where she sings this song that's really, really creepy. And it's the only voice acting in the entire game is this song. And um, it's called Your Reality. And so Monica's gone. She's, it's bizarre. <laughs> and um, you, you get the credit roll. And as the images are appearing from the credit roll, like they disappear. So there are like the CG scenes and they just disappear as in like image loss type thing. thing. Mm-hmm. Um, then you start a new game. Uh, Monica's no longer on the title screen. <laughs> and it goes like normal, but Sayori is the club president. And then by the time that you finish the first day, she's like, by the way, I know what's going on. And uh, I know all the events that have happened. Since I'm the club president now, I have the control. <laughs> it's like, oh, God, no. No. <laughs> it's so, so messed up. Um. I can't even, I can't even, but, um, yeah, so she added, uh, Monica added everybody back in, but anybody who is president becomes self-aware that they're in the game. And yeah, so everything's deleted at, at the end. And if you actually try and restart the game, after that, after the second deletion, mm-hmm. it won't start. <laughs> It'll say, like, everything has been deleted. So you have to actually go in and delete another file that's called, like, first run. Mm-hmm. By the way, throughout the game, like, weird things happen. Like, oh, you don't say. there's a point. No. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> but, like, um, Yuri gets, like, human eyes at one point and she gets one where like one of her eyes just starts drifting off of her like sprite there's one where like natsuki's eyes start bleeding like there's all kinds of just weird stuff that happens and there's also an ending where if before you start the game you delete monica i was gonna ask if what you would do if if, what would happen Mm -hmm. if you did that um so you get a picture of Sayori who has hung herself and um, it's there for like 10 minutes and then you get a, a text that says something about like everybody can be happy now. Huh. It is such a messed up game that I never would have expected. Uh, like I kept hearing things about this and... Yeah. I like games that mess with you um, to an extent. Right. Like, Eternal Darkness is a fabulous game. I love that one. Um, but things like Undertale, I couldn't yeah, play yeah, yeah. because, like, they recognize that, like, if you did something wrong, that you did that wrong and it won't let it go. But with this one, while it's fourth wall breaking, there's less of, like, this is just the story. You can't actually do anything right or wrong. Right. It's horrifying. <laughs> like, it's done by a team. I think I counted, what, four people? 
Sounds about right. And uh, I think Dan Salvato is the the main main dude. But I mean, holy crap! I I like I. I still think about this game and like how insane the entirety of it is. And I've been wanting to talk about it because like it's been lingering in my brain. Like it's so messed up. Right. Yeah. (laughs) But it's also like really well executed. Yeah. Like I, for someone who didn't know a bunch about it, like going into this, the way you describe it in the way, like it subverts a lot of your typical dating sim tropes and subverts just like visual novel tropes, even at that, like, it sounds as much as like you know horror games don't really are my my forte. It sounds yeah. really cool, like the stuff it does. I think it's an extremely creative that it uses the the files of the actual game so much. Yeah, to yeah, yeah, function. yeah, yeah. Like that's not something I've ever encountered before. Like the only thing and... that came close to that for me was like when playing undertale and it did like a force crash to desktop that was a part of the game yeah like this one to literally finish the game you yeah. have to go in and delete a character from the folder this goes of the like game. an extra step entirely yeah it's crazy and so um and like every time one of these characters is deleted by monica like it becomes a corruption on the title screen and like if if there's ever a mention of that character's name, like you end up getting the messed up text box area as opposed to like you have the regular pink and then wherever the name is said, it's corrupted. Mm-hmm. It's, I, I can't even really describe how insane this game is. <laughs> but, I mean, you, you do get hints like I said at the beginning when you start going through the poems you're like oh why is there murder on here why is there depression like where I why are all these words on here that seem strange right and then you're like oh that makes sense (laughs) um I did forget to mention though there is one part of the game where you do get to write a poem for Monica she's like hey it's time for you to do one for me this hasn't happened yet and it ends up getting like an insane amount of pages I think it's like a thousand pages or something Mm -hmm. and every single time you click on a word it just keeps adding numbers but every single word is like some version of Monica hmm because the rest of them you're like puppies (laughs) cotton candy puppies that kind of thing and then like it's all just Monica 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 you're like oh oh buddy (laughs) It's, it's really, it's horror done in a really good way. And it's done in a way that I don't see often. Right. I'm impressed. I'm impressed just from hearing it. Yeah. It's, I first heard about it, uh, somebody posted on my Facebook, like, hey, you might be interested in this. And I looked into it and I'm like, yeah. I might be interested into it, uh, interested in it, but then I was worried that it would have the same issue with Undertale. Mm-hmm. But man, this game is mind blowing. It does things I never would have expected from a video game. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I can understand now why people were so just 
completely jazzed about that game last year. Yeah. I mean, I, I, like I said, I was, I was interested, but I was hesitant. And then like, now that I've actually gone through it, I'm like, Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, alrighty. After that horrific ending to the podcast, I got nothing else to say. (laughs) Uh, join your local literature club. I think that's the only thing we can, we can leave with. Actually, I think the lesson of this is don't join your local <laughs> literature club. Especially if they're like, hey, your first day on the in the club, write a poem. Because that's a bad thing. There are four hot girls for you to, to <laughs> hang out with. Isn't this amazing? Totally. Yeah. Ugh. So I think that's going to wrap this episode. I think so. Um, it's going to be a long episode with long titles. Yeah, all the titles. Mm-hmm. Well. Huge you, variety, too. Yeah, a lot of variety. If you want more from us, go to seasonalanimecheckup.com or sac.cool for past episodes of this very podcast, where you can also find other grab bags as well, where we talk about a bunch of stuff. And there are other podcasts like Seasonal Anime Checkup and Jared Now Watch Sailor Moon Crystal, where we watch Sailor Moon Crystal. And you can also find columns and reviews on the site as well. For more from Anladium, you can go to anladium.com where you can find her columns and reviews and cool stuff. You can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash anime checkup where we tweet. Tweet, tweet. Oh, Monica has a Twitter. Follow her I on just, Twitter. I just found this out and it's, I'm interested. Like, I think after the podcast, I want to go see what's on the Twitter. <laughs> anyway. And you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash S-A-C-O-V-A. And you can support our podcast by, like, giving us a dollar. Because that's cool. Help us continue to do this thing. This thing. Uh, Next week, we're going to switch things up. And talk about something that's not a video game. An anime. Or a manga. But it's worth talking about. But it's worth talking about. So look forward to that next week. Changing things up. Changing things up. It's what you do in February. You just switch things up. <laughs> it's like switch. So yeah, I look forward to our fun, wacky, non-traditional episode next week. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun.